If you would, I would like you to turn to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to pick it up there in just a minute. Uh, like I said, we've been using all of our Sundays this summer to work through different cities in the book of Acts, and we're asking the question, uh, what happens when the Holy Spirit leads the way? Because the book of Acts, while it is also a story about the early church and the people in the early church, it is really a story about what the Holy Spirit of God is up to in moving that church forward into the world in the first century. And we are um, trying to identify what was going on there so that we can draw parallels for us in our day, in our age. Okay. So the passage we're looking at today is about Paul, who finds God in a particular place that I don't know if uh, he expected to find God. And I don't think he would have, I don't think I would have expected to find God in this place either um, if I didn't have this story to kind of give me the instruction and the knowledge about it. Um, if we'd been in Paul's situation, I think we would have felt the same way. So today's story takes place in the city of Athens. Have you all heard of Athens? It's still there, right? It's still there, Athens, Greece. And I want to show you a picture of the Parthenon, okay? How many of you have heard of the Parthenon? Okay, quite a few of you. How many of you have been there? Some people have been there? Oh, wow, okay, awesome, okay. It's a temple built to the goddess Athena. The goddess Athena was the daughter of who? Zeus, right? And she is the patron uh, god of the city of Athens. It's named Athens is named after her. And so in Athens, you have the Parthenon. And... If you went there today, uh, here's what it looks like. Um, back in the day, it had uh, a roof and everything, and it was a little more polished and that kind of thing. Um, and here's another picture from Athens I want to show you. It's a big, giant outcropping of rock. You can see people walking around on it over the city. It's up above the city. This is called the Areopagus. Okay, it's a giant rock outcropping named after the god Ares. Okay, how many of you have heard of Ares before? Ares, okay. Uh, who was the god of war? Okay, and Ares, his other name was Mars. Yeah, and so Areopagus is exactly what I heard someone just say that this is also known as Mars Hill. Some churches take their name from, from this and for a particular reason. This is where the Athens City Council met, it is where. Um, uh, other significant uh, court cases were heard. Uh, trials would take place there. This is where the philosopher, uh, if you've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, his name is Socrates, otherwise known as Socrates. Um, by the way, Bill and Ted 3 is coming out. Just a little plug. Um, it's, I'm, I'm glad you guys are laughing. You can explain that to your mom and dad for me, okay? But... Um, this is, this is 400 years before the story we're reading this morning. Socrates would have been there, and he was tried there and sentenced to death. You might remember that from school. So there were temples like this all over Athens that were dedicated to gods uh, in the Greek pantheon of gods. And if you want to find out more about that, you can just go read. Um, all the middle schoolers will know this one. You can go read like all the whole Percy Jackson series. Or if you like movies, you can just go watch Wonder Woman. Okay, um, and you'll find all about find all about about Ares and that kind of thing. But um, or you can just go to Wikipedia to get like a really good start. But <laughs> but that, don't don't end there. Go further if you will. 
We're going to pick it up in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. And I just wanted to give you that background of the physical geography and what's going on. And here's what it says. While Paul, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an un known God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, God did this so that they, could, they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though, he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And I want you to highlight that because that's in quotes for a reason in your scriptures. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that The divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we would like to hear more, hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius and a member of the, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris or Damaris, and a number of others. So, that's the story. And remember, we're asking the question, how is the Holy Spirit leading the way in this? So, really, you could take that whole thing and you could say, okay, the end result is that Paul won some of them over to this story of Jesus, and others he did not win over, which seems to be the case in every city that he goes to. You can back up in, earlier in this passage of uh, chapter 17, you can see that he goes to Thessalonica, uh, another city in ancient uh, Mediterranean world, and he goes to Berea. And both times he has to leave because he preaches this story and the people run him out of town, essentially. They're like, get out. And he has to sneak out sometimes. But in this story, I think there's a lot that we can learn. We can learn to see where God has already been revealed in the culture around us. Did you catch what I said there? He's already been revealed in the culture around us. And I think that we can learn how to enter into conversations with people about faith, in the same way that Paul did here, especially when people in our culture invite us to have those conversations with them versus 
you know, like bullhorning it at them where you're not invited to do it. So I think that when people are curious about faith and they want to enter into those conversations with us, then it, it creates an opening. So I think we're going to have reactions to that idea. I think some of you just had a reaction to that idea. You want me to talk to other people about faith? Is that what this sermon's about? Yeah, it actually is. Um, I think some of you are going to have reactions about that idea depending on your backgrounds or maybe where you are in your faith right now. Some of us might think we don't have enough experience or knowledge. I'm sure some of you are going, yeah, that's me, uh, to have that kind of conversation with people. Or maybe you just feel like it's intimidating. Maybe this culture that we're in, you think that that's not allowed or that you're going to be scoffed at or made fun of or ridiculed or something like that to have a conversation about faith. Maybe you don't know how you would answer people's questions. Maybe you think you have to memorize a bunch of stuff. Or maybe you would just rather not talk to people about God in your faith. Or maybe you came, on the other hand, maybe you came from a background in church growing up or something where it was expected for you to talk about your faith to people all the time, everywhere you go, whether or not they want to hear it or not, right? Like, you get on an airplane. You know this, right? How many of you have been on an airplane? How many of you have experienced this? The person next to you. I get. It's funny when this happens to me because I'm not that pastor who's like, let me tell you about Jesus while I got you trapped on the airplane, right? But it's happened to me. And sometimes, I, depending on the level of their uh, ignorance or their ferocity or whatever it is, I tell them I'm a pastor or I don't. <laughs> you know? It's just, you know, these sort of experiences make some of us want to shy away from wanting to have these conversations because you want to, you want to know how to have these kind of conversations that are honoring to you but they're also honoring to the person that you're talking to, right? So I think that both of the types of reactions are valid, that uh, I'm scared of this, I'm afraid of this, I'm intimidated by this, I'm also like, I'm excited about this, or I want to do this in the right way. All of those reactions are valid, okay, and everything in between. But I want us to take a look at how Paul does it today, okay? I think that the way he does it can help us find confidence in how to have these kinds of conversations and do it in a way that respects us and respects others. So go back to verse 16 in your scriptures. It's not up on the screen, but if you have a device or you have your Bible, just open it up to Acts 17, verse 16. Paul was waiting for uh, uh, Timothy and... uh, Who's he waiting for? Silas? I forget who it is. Yeah. And um, they are, he's waiting in Athens and he's greatly distressed. He's looking around and he's seeing all these idols. He sees all the idols, the things that people are bowing down and worshiping and giving their worship to and engaging in different acts of worship towards. And the first feeling or emotion that Paul exhibits is distress. And that can mean that he is maybe angry, or maybe he's upset, or maybe he's overwhelmed. Maybe he's just anxious. But this set him off so much because he was a Jew, remember? He was a Jew that became a Christian. So all in his background is all of this Jewish stuff, particularly everything in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, of which the highlight of that, one of the big highlights in that is what? The Ten Commandments, right? And so, which says, don't have any idols. Don't bow down before any other gods before me, right? And Jews did not like graven images made in the image or the honor 
of other gods. And so just the very presence of all these idols in the city, it, it violates at least two of the Ten Commandments, okay? So I think Paul was, I think he was more than mad, not just because these people didn't, who didn't share his religion broke two of the Ten Commandments, but I think, I, I, I think he was mad probably initially or angry or frustrated or something like that. But then I think, then I think it broke his heart. I think he had this feeling for God's heart towards Athens. That was why he was there, after all, right? He's like, he's like, God loves the people of Athens. I think he probably had heard that story about Jonah running the other way, and God's like, no, I love these people. One of those, one of those, you know, people give the Old Testament a bad rap for all the killing and war and this kind of stuff. And then you've got this story about Jonah where God's like, go to these people who are the worst because I love them and keep going there. I think he has that kind of in, in his back pocket. I think Paul does. I think he, I think he went there uh, knowing that people were going to worship other gods. Even though, and, and he knew that they were doing this and they were not the true God. And, he, and he's like, because you're worshiping these other gods, you're, it's actually keeping you from knowing the one true God. And he grieved for that. And so he has this grief that they're, they're doing this thing that they don't really know that they're doing. And so when we enter into conversations about faith with people in our context and in our culture today, we can pray to have God's heart. We can pray to have God's heart for the people that we're talking to. We can pray to feel what God feels for those people. Pray to know what God feels for them and that, that He has this love and compassion for them. It, even if we, even if we, if the idols that we see in people's lives repel us, just like they repelled Paul, He knows that God's heart is for these people. Paul was repelled by their idols. Some of their idols were, were just really crazy. And the things they had to do to worship them were really crazy. And it's not totally unlike the idols that we have in our culture today. There are some idols in our country. There are some idols in our city. There are idols in our neighborhoods. There are even idols in churches. Okay? And there are people who God gifted with the ability to see those in churches and call them out. I had a, we had a professor in seminary, Beth and I did, who would say... Um, there's a, there's a great there's great ways to honor people that have come before us in our church family, right? But he would say anytime a church starts putting the names of people on benches and plaques and things like that, he goes, that's the day the church starts to die because you're making an idol of what was instead of being a church family that's in the present and focused on the future. Um, and that, I loved it because that guy was like 85. <laughs> and he was, he was laying the smack down on a lot of people. Um, and calling out idols and what we do, what churches do. And it could be a sensitive topic, depending on how we go about that or how people go about that. But I want to talk about some of these idols for a minute because Paul's looking around at all these idols, and it's kind of like a sub-point with where I want to go, but it's also part and parcel to the whole thing. So I think that one of the idols in our country, especially when we come up to... And this is allowed to be talked about, by the way, but you can talk about elections. I just can't tell you who to vote for, right? And I wouldn't ever dream of doing that. Um, but one of the idols in our country and in any country, and this is not disparaging against anybody who's served in our armed forces or anything like that, but there's an idol called nationalism. Do you know what that is? Some of you are like crickets, like I'm not going to answer any of these questions. But nationalism is, and this can be a really hard conversation to have with people, but we've, our leadership has talked about we're going to have hard conversations with our church family 
Nationalism is, loving your country is not a bad thing. But if you are a Christian, putting your country above your love of God, if you put it above your love of God, you've put it in the wrong place. Now hear me. Loving your country is not a bad thing. Are you with me? Are you with me? We love our country. But if you put that love of your country above your love of God, God has said, put no idols before me. Okay? So, here's another one. Consumerism. Let's just leave that list up there. Consumerism. Owning things. Buying things. Again, having things and buying things is not bad, right? You have to put food on the table. You need certain things to live. God wants you to own things that make your life good, okay? We've talked about this a lot in here when we've talked about um, idols in the past. But I buy things almost every week, you know? Buying things and wanting more and consuming more and more and more and more to the point that it can hurt you and it can even hurt others, that's an idol, you know? Let's talk about idols in West Seattle for just a minute. There are some idols that are here. And I've, I've lived here just over three years, but I've lived in the Pacific Northwest uh, for nearly 15 years now. I feel like I know this place well enough because I have an approach to learning about a place and diving into it that's very specific. I want to get the view from the curb. I want to get to know the people. I want to spend time in the places where people are, and I want to learn from them what's important to them. So I feel like there's some idols here in addition to nationalism and consumerism, which are all over the place. Uh, things like youth. We idolize youth. Maybe we do that all over the world. We really, you can't help it if you're young, right? But we idolize being young. Being young is awesome, but when you value that, you could do a couple things. You get really much into your image and you start trying to look younger even as you get older and you're never going to be satisfied with that, right? You also start to disregard people who are old, which is quite terrible, in fact. So idolizing youth can be an idol. What about fitness? I mean, seriously, go on Google Maps and type in gym right here. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. There's new ones going in all the time. Runners, bikers, cycling gyms, rowing gyms, CrossFit gyms, regular gyms, health clubs, running groups, swimming groups down on Alki, paddling groups down on Alki, uh, personal trainers, bars, Zoom, <laughs> combat fitness, boxing. Seriously, just do that. You will go, oh my gosh, okay? We will never disparage yoga, though, because we do holy yoga here, okay? So... Um, martial arts, etc. Here's the deal. Being fit is wonderful. You need to take care of yourself, right? It's all, it go, kind of goes hand in hand with the youth thing and the image thing, all right? But it's very much a West Seattle thing or a Seattle thing. But you can put that above everything else and it becomes an idol. You, and I'm preaching to the choir whether or not you're a person of faith or a Christian. You don't know who Jesus is. I'm pre you're preaching to the choir because you know if you're really into that and you've put everything else on the back burner, okay? And then we have recreational activities, being outside in the great Pacific Northwest, whether it's sailing or hiking or camping or fishing or hunting or whatever, or sports. Pick your flavor. I had like four sports conversations this morning about football. That's fine. It's totally fine. 
Whether you're spending big bucks on the games or watching it on TV or buying more channels so that you can watch fights or whatever you want to do, uh, I just want to reiterate, these are not bad things. None of these things are bad, okay, in and of themselves. But if you allow them to define you and you put them above God, then they become idols, all right? So we have to see them what they are, for what they are. They are misrepresentations, of God. They are things that we begin to worship, just like idols and temples that Paul saw all over Athens. These things, that list, it exists now. We just don't see it in the form of a statue on the corner of the street. Right? We kind of internalize it. But they're there. And they, what they do is they take all of our time and all of our attention away from God. Right? We just need to fill God's heart for people like Paul did, and see what it is, and then love people the way that God loves them. That's our focus. So the next thing we see Paul do was a custom that he did in every single city and town that he went into. He reasoned in the synagogue to Jews and God-fearing Greeks, is what we hear, and as well as, in this instance, in, in Acts 17, it says in Athens he goes to the marketplace, and it says day by day with those who happen to be there. In Athens... The marketplace, and in any ancient city, it was the center of the city. It was the political and cultural and economic heart of the city. It was the information distribution center. It was Facebook. It was Instagram. It was whatever news channel that you listened to happened there in the marketplace, okay? Or radio station or whatever. So, of course, the equivalent for us to where Paul was in the marketplace is any place where you have a gathering of people in masses to hang out. And this could be places like our farmer's market that's happening right now on Sunday morning, which is why we do things on Sunday morning. Some people are like, oh, God forbid you walk out of these walls on a Sunday morning and do something in the city. Well, here's Paul on the day that the Jews are gathering in their synagogue, and then he's also going to the marketplace and he's witnessing about Jesus. He's just being there and having conversations, right? So we also have all these yearly festivals and cool things that happen here on California Avenue in the junction. It would be the marketplace for us is that. It's also things like our parts, the things that go on in our schools, the things that your neighbors put on, like National Night Out that we did, Neighbor Night Out in August. A bunch of you did. It's like going down to anything that's happening on Alki Beach, it's at the senior center. It's at nearby restaurants. It's at the Junction Wine and Art Walks. People are there in our city. These are the marketplaces. These are our marketplaces. And the important thing is not so much where Paul went, but it's that he went. It's that he went. Where the people were, and he went there to talk to them and be with them. Another word for that, that phrase, that he went, that's the important thing, is he was deliberate. He was deliberate. Which begs the other side of the coin. The questionnaire is like, you can be deliberate in not doing that. You can deliberately say, preacher, you got it wrong. I'm out of here. I'm not going to go do that. When we do a harvest festival at the end of October and the junction asks us to be there and put on a booth, no way would I give up my Sunday in here for that. Well, I'll be there, so I don't know what you're all going to be doing, but I'm going to be out there part of that time. He was deliberate. 
to go there and be with those people and strike up conversations with people who were there, hopefully to enter into conversations about Jesus. Now, to some of us who are more outgoing, okay, I don't know who else that is. I do know who else that is in here, but I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm definitely not going to call out anybody who's not outgoing. Um, that might sound like a ton of fun to you if you're very outgoing and going out and talking in public and chatting it up with people who are like pure strangers. <laughs> Here's an example. I wanted to find out more about uh, something that happened on our trip in Beth's old neighborhood. And so I drove down the street and there was a guy in his front yard and he waved at me. And I said, hey, honey, he waved at me. I'm going to go talk to him. So I parked the car and I got out and went and talked to him. That's me. I recognize that's not most of you. I also tell you this, like here you go into a place, you talk to people. I've told you before, Beth and I do this experiment. We're walking down. We did this at Lincoln Park yesterday. We're walking down the the water with the kids. And I'm like, hi, hi. And I'm taking a tally. How many people are going to respond back to me? And on the way down, it was like not so much. But on the way back, it was pleasantly like outnumbered by, hey, how's it going? The sun was out, so it was good. But um, I recognize that. For some of you, that might sound not only hard, that might sound like a nightmare. You're like, no, thank you. So, And some of you, you might be like, to go out and purposely try to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus, that might seem a little bit contrived, right? That might. Some of you are like, that's just manipulative. I know some of you are thinking it. It's okay, okay, to think that, to have conversations with strangers just so that we can get to the point where we talk to them about Jesus. What I'm not suggesting is that you do this for the sole purpose of getting them to sign up for our program or come to our church. But what I am suggesting is this. I want you to consider what your marketplace is. What is your marketplace? You have one. You have one. What's your marketplace? What is the place that you as an individual can already start these kinds of conversations? There's a place you go. There's people that you talk to. So maybe when it's, it's when you're walking your dog. That's an easy one, right? Or you meet other people with dogs or somebody comes to you because they like your dog. It opens up a conversation. If it's the same people in your neighborhood, that happens to us. Maybe it's when you're at the park with your kids or maybe it's at the break room at work. There's a number of different uh, scenarios. Maybe it's at Huskies. Maybe it's like the Twitchells. They're always at, at Skylark. The people who own Skylark know you. The people who are in there regularly know you, Right? Yeah, Barry Swindon, this guy walks his cute little dog all the time. Um, yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to leave that there. But people are always, it's, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's not. But this man, by the way, I don't know if you have a dog and you see the people throwing their, their doggy bags. Every, like, What's the point of, this is totally not part of the sermon. What's the point of picking up your dog's stuff in the bag and then tying it up and leaving it on the sidewalk? This man picks up everybody else's all the time. But what he also does is he has conversations. Barry works with me, if you don't know. He has all these conversations with people. The dog is a conversation starter. And then nearly every morning of the week, he's down at Lincoln Park trying to catch a fish. <clears throat> trying. And and uh, actually, he's shown me the ropes. And I've, I've always fished in rivers. And so fishing on the ocean, the sound, that's a new thing. So I'm learning how to do it. Um, Saw a guy catch, catch pink yesterday. Okay, so, uh, he's had, all these guys know him. They're from all over the world and they know you by name. You guys know each other. 
Because you're there every morning. That's your marketplace. Where's your marketplace? Where's your marketplace? Okay? Where is it Skylark? Where is it? Y'all remember, y'all remember the old sitcom Cheers, right? Let's put that up there. That's a blast from the past. How many of you don't recognize this? That's what I want to know. How many of you don't? Come on, own up. How many of you have never? Okay. Seriously? Okay. Pat, I'm calling you out. You need to go. You guys have a movie collection that's like, I don't even, you don't even go to a movie store. You, uh, you don't know Cheers? Okay. I'm so sorry. You can, you can berate me later. Okay. But, um, cheers. You want, the, the catchphrase is, you want to go where? Bingo. (laughs) Where is that for people? Where's the marketplace? Or, for those of you who came a little later, the next one is, what's this? Friends. Where are they at? Central Perk. Yeah. They're at Central Perk. By the way, it's the 25th anniversary of Friends, and you can actually buy a Lego set of this exact scene. Um, I'm not buying that, just so you know. Just, I'm just mentioning it. So, um, what's that place for you? Who are those people that are there? All of these examples we've just run, run through could become your marketplace. So that's the question. What's your marketplace? Which, by the way, is the title on the front of your program, the marketplace, okay? So most people, they just want to be known. They just want to be known. They really enjoy talking about themselves and their interests and their ideas and their opinions. And all of those types of conversations are just opportunities to show God's love and care for people. Just sitting and listening to people and getting to know people expresses to people God's heart for them. And this is the the, the common thread that Paul had wherever he went. Everywhere he goes, he strikes up a conversation. He says, hey, I'm Paul. This is what I'm about. I just want to talk to you. What do you do? That kind of thing. He gets invited into places just by having, you know, and their, their, their culture was a little different from ours, but not totally dissimilar. And what he does is he just says, I want to tell you about how much God loves you. That's good news. How much does God love you? He doesn't focus on anything else. And churches, by the way, just a side note here. It's like, I know it's like the fifth side note. Churches that get sidetracked, and it is sidetracked on other issues about what they're for or what they're against that's out there in the culture. We do not see Paul doing that here. He just says, God loves you. God loves you. All right? The third thing, I mean, he just gen- he has this curious posture. And he, and he genuinely wants to get to know people in the way that God knows all of us. Do you want to get to know others in the way that God knows you and let them know the love of God? So then the third thing we see here that Paul does is, I think, and I think this is one of the most interesting ones for me, maybe it is for you, he, he identifies a point of entry for dialogue about God. Because he's so busy chatting it up with, with everybody in the marketplace, he gets invited into the Areopagus to meet with the city leaders, the city council, the rulers. They want to hear Paul's ideas. This is where he reveals where he's identified, how to have a conversation with them about God. And here's what it says. He says, I walked around and looked carefully at all of your objects of worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription on it, to an unknown God, to an unknown God. So this very thing that he finds, this idol to an unknown God, the thing that caused him distress and anxiety and anger or dissatisfaction or whatever it is, 
right? The thing that distressed him, this very thing. That is the thing that he identifies as the bridge into the conversation about God. That thing that he didn't like. But he's like, that's the bridge. That's the bridge. I think that's just so fascinating. It's incredibly fascinating that he did that. He didn't call it out. Look at what it says. He didn't rebuke them for all their idols. We know what he thinks on the inside, thanks to what Luke gives us. He's like, he's distressed about it, right? But he doesn't say that to them. He he doesn't say that to them. I think he had a little help in not saying that to them. Because I know me. I want to say that stuff sometimes, right? But the Holy Spirit is with him. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them they're bad. You're bad. Why? Because that's not good news. People know how bad they are. They don't need Christians going around to tell them how bad they are. That's stupid. Right? Yeah. It's it's just stupid. He doesn't have to tear them down. You better believe in Jesus right now. Okay, because that works. Yeah. He said, I'm going to tell you who I think this unknown God is. Do you want to hear about it? And they said, yeah, we do want to hear about it. And he's able to do that because they, he had already connected with God's heart for the people of Athens. He already knew how much God loved the people of Athens. And he had felt it. He had felt it. So Paul goes to them and he says to them, this is who you're worshiping when you think you're worshiping an, an unknown God. You're worshiping the one true God. It's a very creative way that he did it. He tells these elite philosophers, right, all of these things about God. He doesn't quote Scripture to them. Notice. He doesn't quote Scripture to them. If he had, it would have been the Old Testament, and they would have known nothing about it. And they would have no context or reference for it. So he's like, I'm going to tell you all the ways your science is bad or something like that. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, what does he do? He quotes their own poetry to them. He quotes their own poetry to them. You know? And what this tells us is that Paul knew their culture. He had a knowledge of who they were. He'd spent time getting to know their literature and their art. And he was able to quote it back to them. And he says to them, and some of you are very good at this, by the way. Some of you know our art and our culture very well. And what I mean by that is you know the songs. I know the guys in our band know the songs of our culture. They don't just play worship stuff. They know a lot of stuff. Paul says to them, In Him we live and move and have our being. God is as close to us as our breath. God enables us to move, etc. And he's quoting their own poetry to them when he says that. This is like when we quote other authors I'll just leave that up there for a minute. It's like when we quote other authors, we do this on our Instagram feed quite often. We quote authors that aren't even Christian. <gasps> you know? Who do I mean by that? You know, what do I mean by that? I mean, singers and songwriters who aren't Christian who are singing about the things of God that we recognize as the things of God. And we say, yeah, more of that. More of that. Not no, no, no. But you're on the right track. I think you're close to God. Keep moving in that direction. You know? Side note, if all you do is listen to Christian radio, that's fine. 
But I'm going to tell you, not that it's wrong, although I want to say that you're doing it wrong, but it's not enough, is what I'll say. It's not enough. Not in our culture. Not if you want to know what the rest of the culture is into and what they're singing and the lines that they're learning and the, li- the lines that they're living by from the songs that are swirling in their heart and in their head. All right? For goodness sakes, if you live in Christian, if you're a Christian and you live in Seattle, you, here's some artists that you ought to know. Bing Crosby. Okay? Ray Charles. Dave Matthews. Bruce Lee. Kurt Cobain. Jimi Hendrix. You're like, is this a sermon anymore? Um, yeah. You had better know what these guys say and the things that they say when they approach God. Because they're all searching. They're all searching. I'm not saying that you make them into an idol or someone to emulate. I'm saying you take that idol, that thing that you don't like, and you make it into a bridge if and where possible. Okay? Uh, if you are born and raised in West Seattle or if you live here now, you better get this one right. You better make for darn sure that you know some Pearl Jam. Because Eddie Better lives here. You will see him in the grocery store. Okay? And here's the deal. Paul is not trying to be cool or, and just be relevant by dropping some Kurt Cobain lyrics of his time. Okay? He's not just trying to be cool by doing that. He is doing this precise thing. He is constructing a theology out of their local culture. I think that's up there. Yeah. He is constructing a theology out of the local culture. And that's what I mean by that. He finds where the true God is, where Jesus is, in their poetry and even in an idol that they have built. And he says, this is where God is. And then he builds his whole sermon around it. Instead of quoting the Ten Commandments and going, boo-hoo, get your life straightened out. He does that. And what's he doing when he does this? He demonstrates that he knows and respects their culture. He names where people are already worshiping God, and then he points them more in the direction that they need to go. And he compels them to worship the one true God more fully than they are already doing. Right? These are the things that we can do too. We need to know how to demonstrate that we know and respect our culture. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you agree with it. But that you can respect where they're at and then go, okay, how can, how, if I respect that, I can, maybe there's a, a bridge there. Okay. But not in a forced way. You know, like I've heard this one before. You know, oh, that sunset. You see that sunset? So beautiful. You know who made that sunset, right? And you're forcing it. You're just forcing it on somebody. You know? I'm not saying we do it that way to people, but when people have already welcomed us into a conversation the way that people welcomed Paul into that conversation, if we have an understanding of the culture around us and we have already identified where God is at work in our culture, then we can invite others to see everything the same way we do, which is through the lens of Jesus. And that leads us to the last thing. When you get to that point... What we see Paul doing is he displays a lot of confidence. He's not wishy-washy about it. It's okay to be a Christian in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest, and say, this is what I believe. You don't have to believe it, but I believe it, and I'm going to live that way once 
you've been invited and you've made this bridge and you're trusting the Holy Spirit in that, con- in that conversation. We see Paul in front of the elite thinkers of his time in this city, the leaders there, and he proclaims not just the things that he believes to be true in his mind. He's not trying to just convince them intellectually that he's right about things. He is proclaiming from his heart what he truly believes. He's not just saying, just one time I was walking on this road to Damascus and I was a Christian, I was, a, I was killing these Christians. He doesn't even go there with his testimony. And now I believe it so much that I'm trying to make Christians. They're like, whoop-de-doo. That, would, that wouldn't have helped very much, I don't think, because he doesn't use that backstory here. You know? He just tells them about his ongoing relationship with Jesus that is continuing in his life. And he's so confident because he knows Jesus. He's confident. That he knows Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. So he has this confidence in the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus ascended, and we'll we'll finish this up, this is what he said to his disciples. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Paul had the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And that Spirit enabled him to be bold and to speak the truth about who God was. And we have that same Spirit within us. And we can speak with confidence about who God is. We can speak about our experience of Jesus. So I want to sum this up for you. Here's, here's the, the four things that we see the Holy Spirit leading Paul through these. Pray to have God's heart for people. Go to where people are and talk to them. Identify a bridge. Speak with confidence while you rely on the Holy Spirit. We'll just leave that up there for a second. This is what we see him do. I think it's instructive for us as Christians in our culture today. You've got to identify that bridge, like I just said a minute ago, so you can enter into the conversation about faith. But you need to be invited by those people in our culture, you can't just go door to door knocking and saying, here's a card, come to church if you don't know where you're going to go, if you die tonight. That, that doesn't work anymore in this place. It might work somewhere else, but it doesn't work in this place anymore. And our culture doesn't respect it. So we have to be invited in by being with and really wanting to know people because we have a heart for them because God loves them. God loves them. So we have a mantra in our, like we basically in our house, we're going to be, we're going to try and be there for people with no agenda and love people. So we try to be at soccer games and at scouts and at all kinds of things so that we can be there and get to know people because those are our marketplaces, you know, swimming lessons and all that kind of stuff. Um, and at school events, and when neighbors invite us to do something, just like when the community invites our church to do something, in our family, we try to make that happen. We try our best to make that happen. When your neighbor invites you over for dinner, you better, you better reschedule whatever else you had going on, and you go. Okay? So, I want to leave you with these two questions. Or, it's actually like five questions. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Where is your marketplace? And I'm going to invite the the band to come up here. And when I'm done asking these questions, Leah is going to come and uh, lead us in communion. But where is your marketplace? 
where can you go to know someone who's curious about matters of faith? If you don't have a marketplace already, where can you go? The other part of it is, because of all that baggage that we have and all the reactions we have to talking about somebody about our faith, is where does your confidence come from? Where does your confidence come from? Another way of saying that is, how has Jesus shown himself to you? Because if he's shown himself to you and his love for you, then that should give you confidence because all you have to do is be like, I just need to love this person and have a conversation with them and hopefully a relationship will bloom and flourish into something where that person is like, I have some questions for you. Or you will know when the opportunity presents itself and maybe it's just like, why don't you come to church with me? Maybe it is that. Or maybe it's like, why don't you come down to... Uh, we're having a dessert thing. There's some cool people in my church. Have you been to church in a long time? Do you even know what that is? Maybe it's something like that. Instead of, i got to tell you all about Jesus and all the backstory. It's not that. More than half the time, it's not that. More, more, than, more of the time, it's just, can I take you somewhere and be with me and that kind of thing. And then how can you share that in a compelling way with other people? This is what Jesus has invited us into. His love, His way of life for others. And I'll leave you with that as we come to the table.